everyone. Welcome back to the Fuzzle Podcast. My name is Janessa Merrill, and I'm honestly kind of terrified right now. We have Chris here today, and she's a historical journalist and also a paranormal investigator from the Soul Sister Paranormal Group. They travel to some of the most reportedly haunted locations across the U.S. to investigate and find evidence to prove the question I'm sure we all have, are ghosts real? Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing today? Great. So currently my back like is try to be like against the wall as as I possibly can because I my friends are like freaking me out and we're like oh I hope she doesn't say like something's behind you or things are moving (laughs) well if I see anything I'll kind of keep it to myself yeah um like I just mentioned before we started that I am curious and Mm -hmm. like a lot of people to like research more about it and about the whole paranormal thing but I heard that it's bad because you're feeding more energy into it and apparently spirits know that you're trying to learn more and they're going to be more prominent. Is that true? Well, I've never really heard it explained like that. Um, I do think that once we go into these locations, um, before we actually go, we do a lot of historical background research just on the location itself. And that's really to ascertain what the historical significance is of these locations. And then to couple that with any paranormal reports that is in the location. Um, we, When we go in, we go in with the mindset that we're actually looking for paranormal or unexplained occurrences. And so we approach it with that mindset. So that I think allows us to actually have or or gain the compelling evidence that we've gained in these locations. So I don't think it necessarily brings the spirit out per se. I think our approach to it allows the spirits to feel comfortable with what we're doing. Oh, so are people just more perceptive to having these experiences than others? Like if you keep thinking about it, does it actually exist or is it just become a mind trick? A lot of people do have the theory that um, that the mind that we can create our own hauntings. For us, we uh, and, and let me just explain a little bit about my team. Um, again, we are Soul Sisters Paranormal, and we are an all female group. So it's myself, my twin sister, my younger sister, and two family friends. And we come from a very researched and scientific background. Um, we're all in academia. I have a PhD. My twin has a PhD. We've got two JDs and a master's holder on the team. So when we go into a location, it is very research-based for us. Um, We don't go in to try to conjure up, if you will, a mind trick or something like that. We actually go in with a healthy skepticism, and we want to try to disprove if we can or try to find environmental factors that could lead to these quote-unquote hauntings. Absent that, then we say that we have found something that's unexplainable or possibly paranormal. And so we we don't, I, I, we wouldn't categorize it as, as creating a haunting. Um, we just put forth what we think is unexplainable after we account for everything else. All right. If that makes so, sense. Yeah. So how do you become an investigator? Like, like you said, you guys have like a PhD. Is it a certain degree or is it just with more practice that you become more experienced and people begin to like trust you to like start this company? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, when you hear somebody say that they're an expert in the paranormal field, I don't think that's possible. I don't think there's any experts here because it's not something that you can actually prove. We're all working on theory, right? So we can't go out and actually, like gravity, prove that it exists. We're just trying to compile the evidence to say there is something that's that's going to happen in the afterlife. We don't know what it is, but these, these are the pieces of compelling evidence that we have to build our case for that. Um, for us, and I think for most 
in the paranormal community, it's not so much a, a, an educational background that's needed. It's just basically a thirst for finding out the information, for finding out if there's something out there and just going and doing it, going and investigating. So anybody with a voice recorder or a, you know, a handheld digital camera can essentially become a paranormal investigator. You don't really need any schooling or training. I do think that what you would require would be um, what I would call the right intentions. I don't think going into a place to try to get jump scares or to feel spooky is the right intention to go into a, a location to see if it's haunted. Uh, I do think, like I said, you need to go in with a true spirit of exploration and a true appreciation for the history of the location. And then really just take a voice recorder and like I said, a, a camera or two and just sit down and try to find, um, see if you can get any responses from questions. Yeah. So why are you interested? Because I know I've done my own like investigations, I guess you can call it mm -hmm. with my friends, where we go to like places that are advertised as like haunted, like the Queen Mary and yeah. every like place where you see online or like tons of videos that say like, oh, we've had paranormal experiences here. Like mm -hmm. we've been to those places and haven't really experienced anything. Mm -hmm. And like other times if we go to like an abandoned place and try to figure it out, we're just like too scared to keep on going. So <laughs> what inspires you to like keep going and do these investigations? Well, we first started, we've, we've always had a fascination with the paranormal and we would be watching, my sisters and I would be watching the, the shows like Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures and such. And we would really say to ourselves, why didn't they ask these questions? Why didn't they spend a longer time here? Why didn't they deploy this piece of equipment? So we really told ourselves, if we ever find ourselves with the opportunity to do an investigation, we're going to jump on it. So we got that opportunity in 2014 when we went to Moundsville, West Virginia. And because uh, my mom is from Glendale, which is just north of there. And we had a family friend who sat on the board of the West Virginia State Penitentiary. So he said, why don't y'all come up and stay the night in the prison and see what y'all find? And so we did. It was, it was a very rudimentary investigation. We had uh, a couple of night vision video cameras, a couple of voice recorders, and we really went in with the mindset of we want to see what is going on here. So we did some historical research, and then we, we went in and we stayed the night in the prison. And the things that we captured were so compelling to us that we left that investigation saying, okay, we want to delve into this further. We want to go to other locations and see if we can get the same evidence. You know, we really also want to bring the history of these locations to the forefront. So when you watch any of our videos or see anything that we put out online, you will see that it has a very big historical component and that's very important to us. So we do the history and then we will actually put in any paranormal or uh, uh, unexplained evidence that we found during that investigation. So it all started for us, like I said, in 2014, and it's just something that we really wanted to pursue. So we do probably, I'd say four or five, what I would say, larger scale investigations uh, in a year. And we'll go to places like Moundsville or the Lizzie Borden House or Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, again, to really hone our, our skills and, and build our portfolio. And then we have um, clients that will call us and do a residential or a business location. Um, but yeah, the more we do, the more excited we become about being in this community. So when people do call you to do these investigations at their properties, what exactly are they expecting you, like expecting from you? Like, do they just want confirmation that, hey, I'm not crazy, something is here? Or like, what are they expecting? A lot of people are. Um, you know, it really starts with, we, we don't really get a 
a call saying or a, an email saying, hey, come and do this because I've got this ghost. It, it really starts out with, with more of a, please don't think I'm crazy, but I think there's somebody in my house. I think grandpa's still in my house or something like that. So a lot of people just really want that validation that they're not going crazy. So when we go and meet with these clients, we give them that confirmation. Yes, this could absolutely be something that's unexplainable. It could be paranormal. Um, it could be environmental factors. So let's take a look at that. And so we go through a, a whole litany of things with regard to the history of the location, the history of the family or, or the occupant who lives there or runs the business. And we really try to ascertain what's going on. And then we'll do an investigation and try to come up with those answers. And a lot of times we find out, hey, it's environmental. You know, you, uh, you, you have something that's causing these occurrences. And if you change something, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to stop the unexplained incidents uh, from occurring. And uh, an example of that is we um, investigated as, at a business and he was convinced that it was haunted because his night vision video cameras were going off at certain times during the night when nobody was in there. So excuse me, he, con he was convinced something was setting off his cameras. So we did, we went in, we did a full scale, scale investigation that evening, and then we left stationary equipment and we left the building. So we left that equipment to run during the night. And so the next day he told me the times that his camera went off during the night. And so when I looked at my cameras, I corresponded those times and I noticed that every time his went off was when a car was turning onto the, the road that was parallel to it and the, headline, the headlights were hitting a mirror and they were bouncing up into his camera. So it, it was essentially turning his camera from night vision to day vision and then back to night vision. And so I told him, if you change the camera angle or change the mirror angle, I don't think this you're gonna have these occurrences anymore and you didn't. So we, we do go in to try to, to see if we can find explainable answers to that. And then absent that, we'll call it something that we can't explain. Have you ever entered like a property or a place like, cause I know a lot of people, they enter a haunted place and they can already feel like the energy is off or heavy, or is it like, how do I put it? Like, is it all just like masses of energy basically that we're just dealing with? For, for me personally, I do think it's energy. I do think that it is the energy that is left over from somebody who was alive. Um, so when you go into places like a prison or an insane asylum, you do feel that heaviness because those are places where I feel those, those things that were happening while the establishments were in business really permeated into the wall. So for example, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, the things that went, went on there, lobotomies, shock therapy, cold water baths, you know, just basically hell on earth situations, um, that agony and that pain really permeates and, and that, that heavy energy sits in that location. So those people that died there, if they decided or for some reason did not ascend to the next level, what I will call the next level, I think they're stuck there for, I think there's three reasons why they would be stuck there. And so, you know, I do think we're dealing with that energy. Um, and some of them, some of them are different. You know, when we went to, um, the Exchange Hotel in Gordonsville, Virginia, um, that was a Civil War hospital where there's confirmed 700 people died in that location, but there's also confirmed um, hauntings of children. So in that case, it's a little bit different. The energy that we were dealing with with the kids was actually a fun energy. You know, there was a time where we were sitting in the hallway and we were rolling a glow-in-the-dark ball back and forth, and we were getting positive responses on our handheld equipment because we were rolling that ball, and that was fun. So that energy was very light. It was jovial. So so it was, it's a really different atmosphere from that than going into, say, an insane asylum or, you know, the Velisca Axe murder house. So the energy you feel in these different locations, it varies depending on the location.
Yeah, and I like that you guys do historical like research about it because like whenever my friends and I are like, oh, let's go see this place out, we do try to like research about it and see what we're getting ourselves into. Like there's a place near us, it's called the Patterson House, which is not really known, but people who have like lived near there, they said, oh, nothing bad has ever happened here. It's perfectly fine. Like these were like military like bases kind of like where military people come back home to their families so it wasn't necessarily a bad vibe that we got there like we were in the children's room which apparently like the most haunted place and we did see like the crib moving a bit but none of us were like ever oh we're scared it's just like wow that this is like actually happening Mm -hmm. compared to like going to the queen mary where there's tons of videos of like oh demons are here or like bad people are here which we felt more like unsafe and like we had to leave right away so it's I feel like it's definitely is like the energy of all these places and of course like learning the history behind it it's more comforting to know like what Mm -hmm. you're gonna find you know oh yeah absolutely And, and and I do think you have to go in with the understanding that you can't let biases that that you found in your research really affect what you're going to feel when you go in there. So like your your background of the Queen Mary, um, yes, some people have said that they found demonic entities or they, they found black, you know, darker spirits or whatever. But until you really experience that for yourself, you really need to kind of take that with a grain of salt. Um, so for example, when we went into um, Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, this was a maximum security prison. I mean, the worst of the worst people were housed here. There was violence day in and day out, day out in this prison. So yes, we know that we're going in there into a place that has that you know darker history, but you also have to go in with the mindset that they, they were people too. They were humans that were in there experiencing this. So yeah, they were bad people, but if you go in and, and for us, if you watch our videos, one of the common phrases that you'll hear throughout the video is, is we want to tell your story. And for us, that is a legitimate phrase. That's a legitimate goal of ours is to tell the story of anybody that wants to talk to us in these locations. So if we come across something that we feel is darker or demonic, you know, we really kind of leave that to its space. We, we won't provoke it. We don't provoke at all, but we're not going to go in and try to provoke or, um, you know, go in and, and, and chest pump ourselves and say, Hey, you know, knock us over if you're here, or we're not going to believe you're here until you punch us. That's really not what we do. Um, so if you were to go to someplace like the Queen Mary or to um, a, a hospital or a, a jail where there's there's different energy, you just kind of really have to go with the mindset of you're going in in your investigation style. You have to put everybody else's aside and, and really just focus on what you want to find and how you want to approach it and not be guided by anybody else's style. Because, you know, I think that will allow biases to creep in that could infect uh, affect your investigation. Yeah, I'm honestly I'm the type of person to like laugh during horror movies instead of being <laughs> afraid. But but in the dark, I'm not gonna lie, like it's super scary. Like in the dark because I just can't see anything, and of course, like shadows or whatever is moving, it's just not in my mind. We're like I can't see it. So, are you ever scared like doing these investigations? I'll say there's been times where we've definitely been startled. Um, You know, when you're walking down a dark corridor in a jail and a door slams behind you, uh, that's pretty startling. Um, When we go into these investigations, we're so in the zone, I would say, that we don't really get scared. But like I said, we have that healthy startle and then we kind of run towards it to like figure out what caused that or see if we can, you know, one of our cameras picked it up or our, our voice recorders picked it up. 
So for us, it's more fascinating after the event occurs. But, you know, I agree with you. You go into these places at night and it really changes your perception and it changes um, your senses. So again, you're going into these dark places and of course your eyesight is going to be diminished, but your hearing is going to increase and, you know, your smells will increase. So you really do pick up on those types of senses and it really does... Um, affect you sometimes when you go into these places at night. Uh, but for us, it's really about the exploration of the location and trying to find some of these answers. Yeah, that's already one big difference of why I'm not going to be an investigator. Because usually when we go, like if we hear like a loud noise or like something that startles us, we're automatically leaving. Like we're not going to go find out what it is at all. But, <laughs> yeah, we've definitely had those, for lack of a better term, oh shit moments where it's like, what was that? But then for us, it's like, grab the camera, let's go. We're going to find out what that is. And, you know, it, 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 we are a little bit different, I think, from other teams where it, there's not been a time where we've run out screaming. Um, that's really not what we do. That's not our style. I'll, I'm, like I said, I'll admit we've we've been startled. I've jumped on a couple of occasions, but to me, it's more exciting that yes, we're we're communicating with something here, and let's go find out if we can find some more answers. So, with these investigations, have you had any evidence that you can offer skeptics? Because I know when I watch ghost hunting videos, there's always like two types of people in the comment section. They're like, oh my gosh, did you miss that in the back? And then there's these skeptics that are like, no, it's just the camera just did this or someone was moving here that, and they automatically debunk it, which kind of ruins it for me. But still, like, do you have any evidence that you've seen for yourself or do they have to like experience it to just not be a skeptic? Well, it's really hard for people. I mean, it, it's really hard to translate a lot of it on video. Um, you know, so that's why very rarely on our videos will you see us say something like, oh, it's cold or I just got touched because you can't translate that over over visual media. It's just not possible. What we do when we do our investigations, um, we go in and I will lay out the framework for everything that we've done that night. So first of all, we'll take a day tour of the location and we do that for two reasons the first one is we want to be able to rule out any environmental conditions that could affect the investigation so we'll go in and we'll check for things like traffic noise airline pattern or air traffic patterns overhead dogs lights street lights horns anything that could infect our affect our investigation the next night and we'll make note of all of that. So if we hear that during the night, we can probably say, okay, that's not something that is paranormal or unexplained to us. We, it could be this. Um, and then also we really want to really find out where we can set up our stationary equipment and what's going to be the best angles for us. And then um, that will save us time during the investigation. Then when we go into the investigation, we all have body cameras on. So I know exactly where everybody is, a timestamp throughout the entire night. And then we set up that stationary equipment. And then we'll do our investigation and then we collect all of that um, uh, audio and video footage and we go through it. So if I've got 10 voice recorders running for 10 hours, I'm listening to every piece of that recording. If I've got 10, or 10 night vision video cameras running for 10 hours, I'm watching every bit of that footage. And so what we do is if I, if I hear something or I see something, I'll clip it and I'll say like EVP number one in the bedroom and I'll send it to everybody else on the team. Now I won't tell them what I, what I hear or what I see. I'll just say, what do y'all think of this piece 
of evidence. And uh, so we come back with a consensus. If we don't get the consensus, then we don't put it in um, as, as evidence in our videos, uh, because I feel like we're kind of like a, a sounding board for each other of what our audience would think. So then when we put the videos together, you're only seeing that evidence that we cannot explain in any other way. Um, so I'll say the night of the investigation, there were four investigators. There were absolutely no men on the property. There were absolutely no children on the property. So when I get a man's voice, that's something that I cannot explain. When I get a child's voice talking directly into my voice recorder, that's something that I cannot explain. Um, when I have a ball moving from one side of the room to the other, and I can tell you that there is nobody in that area, again, that's something that I cannot explain. Now, if my goal is not with these videos is not to convince anybody. Um, if you're a skeptic, you're probably going to remain a skeptic. If you're a cynic, you're probably going to remain a cynic. I'm not trying to convince you of the paranormal. What I'm doing is putting together a video that gives you the history of the location, giving you what we found during the night that I can't explain, and then following up with a conclusion. And, uh, and you know, there are millions of other paranormal investigators out there. So if you don't like my style, you can definitely change the channel. But I, I don't feel that, um, that I'm trying to change anybody's mind if they're dead set on the fact that the paranormal does not exist. So um, that, that's pretty much all I can say is I'm not really trying to give it's like trying to convince somebody that they're that my religion is correct you know i, I just can't yeah. do that um but I, I feel that we put together some very compelling videos of some very compelling evidence um that i can't explain and like i said those were two examples those uh the, the man's voice the child's voice um we've caught several apparitions um through on, on some of our night vision video cameras again, that I can't explain. You know, you see a shadow cut through some laser grids, like it looks like about a five foot shadow cutting through some laser grid beams. There's nobody in the area. Again, I can't explain that. So you'll always have those people that want to come back and say, oh, well, you waved your hand in front of the camera. You, do you, you actually did have a guy on site. And in that case, I can just say, you know, that's, that's your opinion, but that didn't happen like that. So... <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. Like skeptics are going to stay skeptics because we did bring like some of our friends who just don't believe in it at all. And they're mm -hmm. experiencing these like paranormal things with us. And if things happen, we're all freaking out. And they're the only ones that are like, guys, it's just nothing. Like they'll be explaining it scientifically or whatever. And it's just like, how do you not believe like we all experience the exact same thing? And mm -hmm. it gets hard. Like, yeah, you mentioned religion and it's like you just can't convince them. It's all based on opinion because it is paranormal and not, no one can really explain it. Mm -hmm. So it does get tough. But you did mention doing day tours. Is mm -hmm. paranormal, like, because we all watch horror movies and it's all set at night. <laughs> but have you ever experienced something in the daytime and brought daylight? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, that's, that's funny you say that because we, we do get that question a lot. You know, why do you do this at night? Um, the first answer to that is most of the locations that we go to are commercial locations. So they have day operations um, or day tours. So you can't do an investigation. You have to wait until they close their normal business hours and do the investigation after that. And then secondly, there is that, that, like I mentioned before, that, that different sensory perception, you know, you're not relying on your eyesight 
sight in some of these locations. You're relying on your other senses. And I feel that's really important because that allows you to really kind of open your mind up a little bit. If you're relying on something that, you know, if your if your soul senses is sight and that's diminished and you're relying on hearing and smell and touch and all of that, I think that adds something to the investigation. Um, and then plus, you know, a lot of our handheld equipment um, have the lights and the sensors and stuff and they just look really badass at night. So, you know, that's another reason. But uh, um, no, we've had several occurrences. I mean, a lot of occurrences during the day. Um, we went to the Ma Barker house, which is in Oklahoma, Florida. And uh, there were several instances where we captured voices on our voice recorder in the daylight. Um, my friend Miranda and I, and she's on uh, Ghost Biker Exploration. So she's another investigator. She and I were at Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia. And uh, we were just doing a day tour. We had a voice recorder with us. And we were in what they call a casemate, which is an underground bunker where they had munitions. And uh, she and I were the only two in there. And uh, we said, is anybody here with us? And we got a yes. And so, you know, again, that's something we can't explain. Um, but yeah, it, it really, I, I think spirits are always there. They're always present. Um, they're going to talk to you, whether it's in the day or the night. Um, it's just for us, it's, it's convenient to do it during the night, but we've actually had several day investigations um, that have been very uh, compelling with evidence. You mentioned using technology, which I've watched like a bunch of videos. So I am like familiar with like the EVPs and like the thermal, whatever, but are they reliable? Because it is known that ghosts tend to tamper with technology, which these things might not be accurate when communicating. So are they reliable to like trust? They're reliable to a point. Um, each one has its its pros and cons, and and that's a great question, by the way. So what we do is when we go into these locations, we don't rely on one piece of equipment. So if somebody were to ask me what my favorite piece of equipment is, it's going to be the voice recorder because I feel that the EVPs are the the most compelling pieces of evidence that we can get. Because, like I said, if you can hear a child's voice and there's zero children anywhere around, or if you can hear a man's voice, again, we're all females, that's something that's that's very compelling and it's very hard to debunk. Um, and then, so the voice recorder would be my very first piece of equipment. And then we do have K2 meters and REM pods and those uh, measure energy. So we have several of those. We have a, um, a spirit box, which, which is an AM FM radio that's been um, uh, uh, transformed to sweep through radio frequencies. So we use that. Um, we have an ovulus, which is something that uses energy. Um, basically, the theory is it uses energy manipulation to form words. So the idea being that spirits can use it to actually say a word. Um, so we do have several pieces of equipment like that, but we don't rely on each one. Um, the best uh, the best investigations that we do are those where the, the um, all of the equipment is validating other pieces of equipment. So if I have the K2 meters going off and the REM pod going off and I'm catching EVPs and I've caught a shadow and through my laser grid and I'm picking up something on the Ovilus and the SLS, that to me is, is validation. It just builds my case that there's something unexplainable here. Um, the best example that I have for that is our investigation at the old Gilcrest County Jail in Florida. And again, this was an investigation um, with myself and Miranda from Ghost Biker Explor Explorations. She and I were the only only two females or the only two people in the jail and we were there for an entire evening and we were asking and there's no power and so that's one of the telling things so if, if you've got a place that there's there's absolutely no electricity in 
theoretically, you set the REM pod down or you set the K2 meters down, they should not alarm at all during the night because there's no energy. You know, and that's what they do. That's what they're made for is to measure energy um, or a, a electro, a electromagnetic energy. And uh, so when you have these things that are completely still until we start asking direct questions, that to me is, is very compelling. And then when we have those same questions being answered by our ovulus as direct responses, such as a name or an occupation or a manner of death, that just, again, builds our case. So to your question, they're reliable, like I said, to a point, but if, if I can get all of them to essentially alarm or do their thing, if you will, throughout the night, then I'm more confident in our investigation. Yeah, because I have seen these videos, but one time my friends and I went to like my their lake house or something and supposedly it's haunted and they also don't believe in like the technology at all so what they do like to apparently like communicate with these spirits are just like using flashlights or like glow sticks to like move them which I find more reliable because it's like oh there's I, I know how a flashlight works I, there's no other way it could have moved or roll or whatever so it is just like kind of I'm on both sides because when you do watch these videos and then they ask like oh can you say my name and then these EVPs or whatever will say the name and their name and they didn't say it at all it's just like how did they know or how did this translate to that Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is very compelling. Like I said, uh, a lot of the evidence that we've gotten, um, especially on some of those electronic equipment, have, have been, most of them are indirect responses to the questions that we're asking. Um, you know, for example, we were at the Ma Barker house, again, here in Central Florida. And um, the, the history behind the house is uh, that was where Ma and Freddie Barker, who were part of the Barker Carpus gang, they were killed by the FBI in 1935. And um, a, a member of their gang who was not there and he did not get killed in that shootout, his name was Alvin Carpus. But he, he was really good friends with Freddie. He was really good friends with Ma Barker. Um, so when we went to the house that night, um, and this house sits on about 40 acres of nothing. It is in the middle of 40 acres. There's no light pollution. There's no sound pollution. There's no roads. I mean, you've got to have a four-wheel drive vehicle to get back to it. And um, we were sitting there with our, uh, and there's no power, and uh, we had our, um, uh, our spirit box, again, which is that AM, FM radio. And it was sweeping through stations. So essentially, when you turn it on and you start sweeping, you it, it sounds like So the idea is that spirits are able to use that white noise to communicate or, or form words. And so um, I, all I said was, um, Alvin, are you here? And the spirit box said, Alvin Carpus. I'd never said I'd never said the last name Carpus, but that was his name. Um, so that to me is extremely compelling. And when I asked what happened to the house, the spirit box said they murdered us, which again is very compelling. So again, that really just builds, like I said, the the compelling nature of the unexplainable occurrences that that occur in these locations. Because I know like demons are real, or like I'm at least for me, I'm religious, and mm -hmm. I know like exorcisms can actually happen. Demons are real. Are you religious? Where this can be like a biased opinion? I am religious. Uh, my my entire group were Christians. We do believe um, that there's an afterlife. We believe in God, um, and so yes, we are religious. And and we do have a lot of people that that say, how can you go look for spirits and still believe in the Bible? And to me, my response is 
the, the Bible is almost a ghost story. I mean, the New Testament, I mean, they, they, the, the, the disciples said when they saw Jesus, uh, we think it's a ghost. They have to have that frame of reference, you know, that the Holy Spirit, I mean, that's essentially a ghost. And so, um, so for me, it's, it's a very easy transition into paranormal investigations and still have my religious beliefs and backgrounds. So yes, I do believe there are demons. Um, I've, I've seen instances of it. Um, again, I'll go back to Miranda Young from Ghost Biker Explorations. Uh, she actually did a, uh, an investigation at a house with a very demonic presence. Um, she actually had to call an exorcist um, to come in and do an exorcism or a priest to come in and do an exorcism. And, um, and so, yeah, I've seen it, but it's not something that we seek out. Um, so again, if, if I go to some place, like for example, Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, there's said to be a demonic entity in one of the um, auditoriums. So for us, you know, it's such a large campus, I'm not going to go in and look for this demonic entity, entity when I have all of this other stuff to investigate. So we put a voice recorder in that um, auditorium, but we stepped away from it and said, you know, this is your space. We respect that. We're going to go do something else um, throughout, throughout the prison. And so that's, like I said, that's really not something that we look for. Um, and then also for us, we do say a prayer of protection before we go to these locations. And then we say a prayer of protection when we come out. Um, and we, we do make it very clear that nothing is to follow us home um, unless we tell it that it can, nothing can touch us or hurt us. Um, there'll be instances where we say, you know, you can pull our pant leg, um, uh, you can touch our hair, you can tap us on the shoulder, something like that, but you're not allowed to hurt us. So we do set those boundaries. Um, but other than that, no, for us, uh, we, we haven't faced anything that I would consider demonic. So I guess you answered the big question, ghosts exist. I guess they do, right? Uh, <laughs> for us, for us, they do. Um, you know, uh, and, and that's my personal feelings on it. Again, I'm not trying to convince anybody. Uh, and, and on our videos, mostly what we do is we'll call it unexplained. Um, if, and that's, it, it's up to the, the viewer to decide whether or not they want to call it paranormal. To us, it's, un, it's, it's unexplained. And that's kind of how we label it. Yeah, in the past, we have talked to other investigators and they do say like ghosts exist but they don't exist in the way that we know it of like these like white figures or whatever. Like they have said that they've encountered ghosts, but they are as real as humans can be. Like they were talking to someone, like having a full on conversation. And then the next second that they just disappeared, which freaks me out because then it's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea if I'm talking to a ghost or not. <laughs> and like, especially if they're having conversations about the paranormal and this apparent person just disappears. It's, starts being like, oh, were they answering my questions? Like a ghost was directly answering my questions. So how do you think like ghosts exist? Are they like humans like we are? I do think they were energy. I, I do think that they uh, are, are the energy because when you think about it, humans are made up of energy. Uh, energy cannot be created or destroyed. So we have to go somewhere after this. There has to be an, uh, another place for that energy to go. So for us, I do think that um, it, it is, we're, we are dealing with something that used to be human. I think that there's three, three reasons why um, uh, the, the spirit of a human would stay. The first one is what we call unfinished business. I mean, we've all heard that phrase. And I do think there's some legitimacy, legitimacy to that. Um, and I'll, for an example of that, um, about four years, okay, my granddaddy died in 1986. So about six years ago, um, I had a dream. He came to me in a dream and said, uh, and this was such a vivid dream. He came to me and said, I am, I'm coming. I'm waiting for your Nana, who's my grandmother. I'm waiting for your Nana. You're going to be getting a call soon. 
about two weeks later, she was in an accident and uh, she went into surgery. She never re really recovered from that. She was in hospice for about three or four weeks. And when the day she died, um, and with permission from my family, I told my sister, I said, she's going to meet granddaddy in that location of the dream because it, it was a very specific room in their house. I said, they're going there. And so we grabbed some equipment and we, this was literally three hours after she passed. And we went to that house and we went to that spot where the dream was in the dream and uh so we the power was off we had our k2 meters i had a black one and a gray one and i said uh nana are you here and both of my meters lit up and i said if it's really you to confirm go to the gray meter went to the gray meter go to the black meter went to the black meter i said granddaddy are you here same exercise and so to me it was very peaceful because i was able to through that series of, of evp sessions i was able to ascertain that nana had met up with granddaddy and they were going to whatever's next together. So that was his unfinished business. That's why he was still there. So to follow up on that, to finish that story, we went back two weeks later and we didn't get a blip on anything that we had. None of our handheld equipment alarmed at all. There was nothing. And so that to me, again, was validation that they're no longer here. They've ascended. So they're no longer spirits in this realm. Um, so that is my example of unfinished business. The next one is, I do think that there's a possibility that spirits for some reason get stuck. They don't know how to move on. They don't, they know they're dead, but they don't know how to move on. For an example of that, we were at Hales Bar Dam, which is in Tennessee, and we were down in one of the tunnels that run under the dam. And the history is that there was a couple of kids that were killed in an accident. So we were doing an EDP session and Michelle said, you know, why are you still here? Why haven't you moved on? And we got a child's voice that said, I can't, I'm stuck. So I, I think that he knows he, he's, he has to go somewhere. He knows it, but he can't figure out how to get there. Um, so I do think that that's another reason they're stuck. And then the third one is I think they're afraid to ascend or to go to wherever's next because of fear of, of repercussions um, because of what they did in life. And for an example of that, we were at West Virginia State Penitentiary. And there was a guy there by the name of Red Snyder, and he was a, a very bad individual. He was in there for murder, and he became, in the prison, he became the leader of the Aryan Brotherhood. So anybody that he wanted dead in the prison, he made dead. So very bad guy. Um, so we took a couple of trigger items in with us because we knew he liked certain things, and we made contact with him. And so I think in that instance, he's very comfortable with where he's at because he, you know, he essentially ruled the roost when he was alive. He's very comfortable with where he's at, and he doesn't want to move on because he's afraid of what's going to happen next because of who he was in life. So he's just going to hang out at West Virginia State Penitentiary. So I think that's why he's there. So to answer your question, I personally believe that we are dealing with spirits of people who used to be alive. And for some reason, they're still here. That's crazy. <laughs> it just definitely made me think like, oh, I don't know why they're here. And I don't know if like, should we help them? Like if we understand that they have unfinished business, should we try, is it our job now like to help them move on or should we just like leave it? Like we've learned about them. We are hearing their story. Should we just leave it at that? If we're called into a residence um, and, and they want it removed or they want it to move on or they want to assist it to move on, um, we, we personally don't do that. Uh, we will call in somebody, we'll call in a priest, we, we know some priests, we'll call in a demonologist if we're dealing with something that's dark, and we will help make that happen for the client. Um, for the commercial location, such as West Virginia State Penitentiary or the Ma Barker House or, or you know, um, Villisca House or whatever, we don't own that. That's not our place. Um, we can report the evidence to the owners, um, but for us, that 
that's not what we do. And so we, we don't feel like we can do that. That's not our place. And um, so I, I do think like the, the Hales Bar Dam, the kid at the Hales Bar Dam, when I heard it, it broke my heart. And you do want to find that child and say, here, let me help you some way. Um, but again, I, I personally, I don't feel like that is my place. If the owners want to bring somebody in to do that, they're more than welcome to, obviously. But for me, I, I can't, I can't do that. Now, should everyone be trying to talk to spirits? Because I know there's some dangers to it. And they're like, like using Ouija boards. Is that safe? We do not use Ouija boards. Uh, I feel just the connotation behind them um, and, and how they're represented and used and the things that I feel personally that they could do if you go in with the with the uh, the unsafe intentions of them. Um, I just don't, it's not something that we play around with. So we don't go in and use Ouija boards. Um, to answer your question, I think anybody can talk to spirits. I do think they're with us. I do think they're around us. Um, the problem is not a lot of people listen. Uh, everybody hears, but not a lot of people listen. Um, so I've gotten to the point where I'll carry a voice recorder with me. I mean, not into the grocery store or something like that, but you know, if, if I'm out, um, at a historical place or at a cemetery or, you know, whatever, I'll just turn it on and start asking some questions and see if I get anything. Um, so I, I think anybody can talk to them again, if you have the right intentions. And, and for me, that is a very big thing that I stress because I just, I, I feel that human, they, they need to be respected just like you would respect a human in life. You need to respect them in, in death as well. Um, so that's why when we go to these locations, it's very important for us to find out, you know, kind of if, if we can, you know, what some of the prisoners liked, what some of the, the occupants of these locations like the, the, you know, for example, um, when we went to, um, uh, Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia, one of the reports was that there's a spirit in this solitary confinement cell named William Howe. And he was there, he was tried for treason. He was there in solitary confinement for several months before they hung him at the fort. And so for us, we went in and we took some water, we took a cigarette, we took a piece of bread into this solitary confinement cell and we left it for him. We said, William, this is yours. We knew, we know that you were in solitary confinement. Um, we respect that, that this is your space, but we're leaving this for you. We acknowledge that you're here. So we left that and we just let it be for the night. Um, then we would come in and do EVP sessions throughout the night. And I said, uh, we walked in one time and I said, William, you know, we left you a cigarette and we left you some water. And we got a very clear voice that says, thank you. And for us, it's that, it's, it's that acknowledgement, just like you would acknowledge a human, we're acknowledging them. So again, to answer your question, I think anybody can talk to a spirit if you go in with the right intentions of doing it. I think I got a pretty good grasp that like spirits can move things because there are some things that I just can't explain. But more recently, well, like not sure if it's in our family, but like one time a relative had died in the Philippines, which is like across the world. Mm -hmm. And my dad had no idea about it yet. And when he finally heard, he's like, oh, that makes so much sense because he said like the dishes would like fall over or doors would be closing on their own. And mm -hmm. he's like, oh, that makes sense because someone died in the Philippines. And I definitely have those experiences. I don't know if it's like a sixth sense, but I do get like that heavy feeling like before things happen or like even like a few days ago, I had a dream about my mom who has passed. And like right when I woke up, I started smelling like floral flowers and I'm like, no, I don't wear perfume. Like no one wears perfume. So it, it's almost like for me, it's comforting in a way, but are dealing with spirits meant to be scary? 
See, I don't think so. Um, and, and, you know, kind of back to your question of, of do you get scared when you go to these locations? For us, it's not. Um, it, it's really about a connection for us. And uh, it, it's become something that to me is fascinating. Um, it's validating. Like you said, it's peaceful uh, to know that for a couple of reasons, it, it, it allows us to know that there is something after this, you know, um, it, it's just, it'd be in my mind, frightening to think that we die and we just stop being, you know, that, that to me is completely frightening. Um, so, you know, I, for me, it's, it's not something that's scary. It's intriguing. It's fascinating. It's something that I want to delve more into, obviously. And, uh, again, it's not, um, I don't think it's meant to be scary. I think they're trying to tell their story for the most part, for the most part. Now, if, if you had somebody who like was Jeffrey Dahmer in life, do I think he's going to change his ways as a spirit? I don't know. I don't know that. Um, so you do have those, those spirits that may be more forceful with you. But again, if you go in and set those boundaries, kind of like what we do, and a good example of that is our return to Brushy Mountain episode. Um, there's several uh, instances where kind of things got a little a little intense, and we had to say stop, back off. You're not supposed to touch us. And then we just went about the rest of the night. But I think it's more about making a connection and then making a connection with you. So for me, it's not it's it's, it's not scary. It's it's more of a peaceful situation. Now, I want to get into this, which I've been dreading this entire time because it freaks me out. But a lot of my friends have been wondering about the shadow man, which there's a lot of things or theories on the Internet and of a lot of people having vivid memories of seeing a shadow man at some point in their life. And what is your thoughts on it or have you heard about it? Oh, no, I've definitely heard about it. Um, you know, for me, it's just another way that a spirit is attempting to communicate or attempting to manifest. Uh, and, and we've had several instances where we've seen shadow figures. Uh, there's there's twice two different uh, investigations where we've captured them on film, one at the Gilcrest County Jail and one at Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia. And uh, so we've seen them, we've encountered them. And again, it goes back to the fact that, you know, if, if you're approaching them with the right intention, and trying to communicate with them, it, it's not a scary situation for me anyway. Um, it, it could vary for others. Uh, they could have different experiences. Um, but I think it's just a way of, of, of a spirit to manifest and, and make their presence known, make his presence known, her presence known. Um, so, you know, yeah, I've, I've heard the theories on them as well. Um, I've actually, like I said, seen several of them, and it's not something that has ever caused me to run out of a, a room. Well, I've heard like a bunch of investigators who talk about it and they say like you have a choice whether you want to make the shadow figure your friend or your enemy and like the spirits understand what your intentions are with them. And I don't know if it like freaks me out or not because I last time I remember seeing it was like when I was younger and I was talking to my brother about it and he said he saw it when he was younger as well and it's like almost the same experience. So I'm just like wondering why is it so many people have the same experience with these shadow figures? Like, why are we allowed to all see it? Well, I think because you're open. Uh, I think because you, you do, there are certain instances like the uh, the dream with my granddaddy. You know, I think you're open to it. Um, and again, you're right. Investigators, they, investigators in the paranormal community all have their reasons for doing what they do. Um, for us, it's to uh, spread the history of the location, um, maybe put out some historical facts that people didn't know, and maybe help the preservation of that history, and then find out if we can find some unexplainable occurrences or paranormal experiences to go along with that story. 
Others, they may have the intention of being on a TV show, or they may want to go in and provoke or find demons if they're a demonologist or something like that. So, you know, it, for me, it is all about intentions. So if you have, say, an investigator that goes in and says, you know, effing hit me if you're here or push me down the stairs. I'm not going to believe that you're here unless you come up and, and yell at me or, or hit me or something like that. And really trying to provoke. I think that spirits are going to respond in kind to that attitude that you bring into the location. Um, and, and just for us, like I said, my personal style is we're going in with empathy. We're going in with the legitimate um, uh, mindset of telling a story and really figuring out if those historical facts and figures about the reported hauntings are true. Um, if we can add to the the, um, the evidence base of that location. It's not about provoking. It's not about bravado um, for us anyway. But, you know, if it, it, the, I think a lot of people who go in with that really um, provoking mindset are going to be met with something more negative just because, I mean, that's, if you're bringing that negativity or that, um, that high octane energy into that location, I think you're going to be met with that. So uh, it's like, there's a lot, there are a lot of people that say like, oh, kids are more perceptive to it. And um, at least my little sister has not seen anything, which I hope. <laughs> um, but why are they allowed to see like more spirits or they have more experiences with them? Like, you know how a lot of people say like, oh, my daughter has this imaginary friend that she talks about, or like they see a little other little kids. And of course, like there's a bunch of like Netflix shows that talk mm -hmm. about people when they were younger, they've had experiences with ghosts and how they thought it was just their imaginary friend, but it's real. Why is it that younger people can see it more? My theory on that is the younger gender or the, those younger kids, they haven't been formed with biases. You know, they, they haven't been taught, oh, you can't believe that because that's not real. Um, you know, they, they don't have that mindset, that, that bias of, oh, I can't be seeing this. That's not real to them. It's just their, their playmate, Jimmy, or their playmate, Susie. And, uh, and so it's really when we start being, um, I, I guess I'm not even sure the word I would use, but it's when we start to grow and grow older and we lose that, that, um, I can't even phrase the word right, but, but basically what I think is they, they have, they don't have the biases, the human bias, the adult bias, if you will. Um, so I, I think that's probably why they're more receptive to that. And like you said, um, it does, it is more comforting to know like something else is out there, especially after we die. But how has that overall changed your perspective on how to live life, knowing that there is something that happens after life. That's, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, for me, I, I, I think like everybody, everybody kind of has a, a fear of death. And I, I still have, you know, kind of that fear of death. But I think the fear of not living is kind of you know, stronger in my, in my mind. So that's why I'm doing this. I mean, I, I, this for me is something that I'm truly passionate about and I love doing this. And, uh, so to delve further into this, um, it, it really is a very cool experience and a very cool walk for me. Um, it, it has made me a little bit more in tune to, um, to death. It has made me a little bit more in tune to the fact that I do think there's something out there that's after this. And it is, it's, it's very comforting. Um, at least in the example of, of Nana and granddaddy, um, that for 
what I, what I think is going to happen is if when we die, we're not going to have to face that alone. I, I think that we're going to be given the opportunity to meet up with somebody who's already passed and, you know, and, and to make that transition with somebody who's already gone through it. And to me, that's a very peaceful feeling. It's a very, um, uh, you know, it's a feeling that brings me comfort. And I think that when my time comes, I'm going to be met by Nana. I'm going to be met by granddaddy or, or those family members that come before me. So that's, that's kind of where my, my mindset has changed a little bit. So when you've spoken to these spirits, do you already like automatically say like, oh, these are angels or these are demons? Like, do you already separate them or do you just communicate with them like they're an actual person? No, we communicate with them with like they're an actual person. Um, you know, when we go to these locations, uh, like for example, at Moundsville Penitentiary, we went in with the mindset of, of we're going to try to communicate with, uh, with Red Snyder uh, in, at Fort Mifflin. We're going to try to communicate uh, with William Howe. Um, you know, obviously at Lizzie Borden, we're going to try to communicate with Andrew and Abby Borden to see if we can see if they'll speak with us. Um, and, and like I said, I, I think because we've gone in with the mindset of, you know, we're, we've got the intentions, we, we really want to tell your story. I think we've been very fortunate uh, in, in able to communicate with those spirits. We've communicated with the spirits that, that we didn't even know were there. Uh, you know, in some instances, we, we catch a child's voice. We're like, wait a minute. We, we didn't hear any reports of a child. So that is very cool. Um, uh, and and the, the prisons that we've gone to have been very active and we've been able to communicate with a variety of different entities in those locations. So we really enjoy the prisons. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we, like I said, we've been very fortunate in, in finding some very compelling evidence in the places that we've gone. So actually, let's end with this. What advice do you have to people who are generally interested and want to investigate the paranormal or more about the spiritual world? Uh, well, I would say absolutely get into it. It's a, it's a very fun um, community to be involved with. But, uh, you know, I'll go back to my, my theme throughout the, the presentation here is you, you just have to really go in with the right intentions. And, you know, for me, I would recommend a couple of things if you're going to start grab a, a very good voice recorder, you know, a, a Sony dictation voice recorder or whatever, um, find a cemetery or something. I do not condone trespassing. So if you, if that's something that I would steer clear of, cause you really don't have to do it. You can find haunted locations without doing that, but you know, grab a voice recorder, go to a cemetery, ask some questions or go to a lo location that you know is haunted and take a day tour and ask some questions and, uh, and really just go into it with the right intentions. And then the next thing you have to have is patience. Um, you know, uh, the, the, Hollywood has done a really good job of, of training people to think that a paranormal investigation is a, it's a one hour thing. You know, you've got 15 minutes of equipment set up, 15 minutes of investigation, 15 minutes of evidence review and 15 minutes of evidence reveal. And here you go, there's your investigation. And it is not like that. Um, you know, we go to these locations for 10, 18, 24 hours. And literally most of the time it's us sitting in a room talking to ourselves and <laughs> you're asking questions into the dark and you know, nine times out of 10, you're not going to hear anything you're not going to see anything you're not going to smell anything but that one you know that 10 percent or one percent where, where something slams or you hear footsteps that's what really makes it worth it and then really go back and and listen to the audio and video footage that you've captured um so don't just kind of skip and pick and choose it is like fishing you've got to you got to be patient and go through all of it yeah, it's definitely patience because like when we went to my friend's lake house, we were all just sitting in like a dark room with like these glow sticks, flashlights for like a whole hour. And I probably almost fell asleep because I was just like, I can't wait for anything any longer. Nothing exists. But 
you know, after our talk, I do feel a bit more safer, like, with the paranormal, like, and more comfortable with it, because, of course, in the beginning, I definitely had chills, like, starting to talk about it, because it is hard to, like, feel comfortable when things you can't see, but... Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, if you go into these locations and you start to feel uncomfortable or scared, set the boundaries. Just say, okay, I acknowledge that you're here. I acknowledge that that we may have a communication. You are not to talk to or you're not to touch me unless I say so. You are not to hurt me and you are not to come home with me in any way. So set the boundaries and then just kind of sit down and be in the moment and really just put the voice recorder on and just listen. Yeah. And of course, like anyone trying to go investigate, please, please be safe and like do yes. anything possible to be cleansed. Because I've definitely heard a lot of stories about spirits being attached to people and coming home with them. And mm-hmm. then they just have no idea where all these spirits came from. But it's like from them investigating to so many different places and just yeah. taking proper precautions. Yeah, absolutely. Protect yourself spiritually, you know, say a prayer protection going in, going out. Um, and then also physically. I mean, for us, we have a first aid kit because you, you do not know how many times you've nicked your finger on, you know, a cell door or, you know, cut yourself on something. So so physical safety is also very important. Um, so really make sure that and if you just if you're going, make sure you're going with somebody. Never go by yourself. Always make sure there's at least two people and somebody knows where you're going. So spiritual safety as well as physical safety is something that I would very much stress. Of course. And of course, all their links will be in the description. Check out the Solstice Paranormal. I've watched a few videos and they are more educational. Like I didn't really feel scared. Like I didn't have the need to like watch so many happy videos. It's more, I learned so many things. And of course, like check out all their investigations. And I hope you guys aren't too freaked out, but because I feel more comfortable now. But thanks for listening to another episode. And thank you, Chris, for being here. (laughs) Thank you. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, so thanks everyone for tuning in and hope to talk to you soon.